Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, I just like talking to you. I know, me too. And drinking wine. <laughs> I love it too. That's why it's, this is like makes me happy. So. I know, me too. And it it's... truly does. You're you're so sweet. You're like you just go out for a glass of wine. I'm like, or will you do a podcast? I mean, like <laughs> I'll go out for wine too anytime. But like, yeah, it's, I, you're not putting me out. I love. Well, you're so sweet. I'm not. Because I'm serious. You're just good at. I'm a little narcissistic. I like to hear myself. <laughs> professional friend as well, Erin Rayburn again. Hello. Hi, Erin. <laughs> it's always so fun to hang out with you in any format, whether it's totally social or like a productive hobby like this. Yes. No, I, I so enjoy our time, clearly. And it helps to have a little wine for our well, conversation. <laughs> I know. Dur Cheers. Before, during, and after. Cheers. <laughs> right? So, um, Erin is just so great to always be willing. She's becoming a regular on my podcast. For those of you who haven't heard some of my previous episodes, this is Erin's third time. She was on the Healthy Approaches to Dating podcast, yep. and then she was on the Body Positivity podcast with me. Yes. And she always just has many creative ideas and she's very articulate and I think this is like a creative hobby for both of us I, I think it's becoming that for sure yeah and thanks for having me again so. well I love it and um, it is fun and so I thought tonight when Erin offered to come back and, and do another podcast she she was kind of like what topic could we do and I said why don't we do one about how do you view therapy how do you use therapy what exactly is therapy? Right. And what purpose can it serve? So I thought we could just have a fun dialogue and brainstorm. I have typed up a few notes and right. you and I have talked, but um, so a lot of people have misconceptions about therapy and maybe we can throw a few out there. Like I said, I've written a few down. So one is people go to therapy because they're crazy or they're sick. Mm -hmm. Um, they're the problem. They have a problem. Um, and then therapy can be viewed as a punishment. It can be viewed as a gift or as self-care or something that you really deserve that's like a treat. Um, it also can be viewed as something that can make things worse and stir the pot. I have a client example related to that that I'm going to try to share later. Um, another one is why would you dig up the past? Mm -hmm. Why would you ever want to go and look at difficult things or painful things? And that could be true or a misconception that therapy is only to talk about problems or pain. Right. And then the last one I have written down is it will make things worse. Okay. I want to clarify. You said that in the beginning misconceptions, and then mm -hmm. you also said that therapy was a gift or that we deserve it. Were you saying those are misconceptions or those are some reasons? Ooh, thank you for just clarifying. clarifying. Yeah. Great clarification. Okay. That's why I'm a therapist. <laughs> um, yeah. What I should have said is misconceptions or sort of impressions of therapy, I ways see. to look at therapy. I think okay. I threw that all okay. in. So I'm so glad you said that because well, I'm I sure the, the first... listeners would also be like, wait. Well, I was look, I was thinking like, okay, so the first part feels like the misconceptions, like that therapy is for the crazy people, the ones that have yeah. all these extraordinary problems and doesn't apply to like yeah. the everyday issues of life or that all people who go to therapy are crazy, which um, I mean, there's probably truth to both. I'm mm -hmm. kidding. Um, yeah. I don't like the crazy word, but yeah, that doesn't mean we never use it when we're drinking wine right to refer right. to ourselves no i'm kidding um but but the other aspect that you were talking about here with deserving to go to therapy or self-care i mm -hmm. was that's where i was wondering is that 
you're saying that is a reason to go to therapy or that's a misconception yes. of therapy. No, that's actually in my brainstorm. I didn't really separate that enough. And okay. one of the things is people might view therapy as what a gift. I feel I see. like, oh, I've had people say I've been begging my husband or begging my parents to let me go to therapy for years. And sometimes teenagers even will say, I wish I had a shrink like you have a shrink. My mom or dad won't let me go. And so they view it as a privilege oh, and like okay. a, a gift right? or a self-care. Um, now, and now that I think about it, there probably are some misconceptions that therapy is selfish mm -hmm. or that it's sort of like a first world luxury that not mm -hmm. everyone gets. Sure. So I guess you could possibly twist it to say that that is a misconception. Um, I see. But I think self-care is, is, you know, important for everyone in right. whatever form. Right. For sure. Um, you know, and one thing I tell a lot of my clients is that most of the therapy that I feel like I do is just normal people with normal life issues. Right. We all have issues and so, you know, and I even tell those who are a bit reticent to be seen in the lobby, no one knows if you're here because you have ADHD, because your grandmother died, because you've been through sex abuse, sexual abuse, or because you're an alcoholic, like you could right. be there for anxiety, depression, anything, right. and no one knows. Correct. So. Right. Right. If we're doing our job well, right. We're protecting against that. Um, uh, confidentiality, uh, um, mm -hmm. privacy, um, mm -hmm. not anonymity. You make a good point. <laughs> right. We can't always protect against that. Uh, but I think you make also a good point that we are helping people deal with the human dilemma, Ooh, <laughs> being yeah. a human and being a human means we're going to have problems and dysfunction and that's just for that's for everyone that's mm. not just for the addict or the person with mental illness everybody has problems so the degree and um, the degree of those issues and the the length of how long those issues last you know that that's what varies person to person mm. family system to family system couple yeah. to couple what have you but we all have issues. <laughs> yeah, that's a wonderful way to put it. The human dilemma, the human condition of just mm -hmm. universal struggles, um, actually, which is neat. My last client of the day today was a father son who I admire them very much for coming. Um, you know, the father, of course, initiated it and his son is a teenager. And your human dilemma um, comment just kind of triggered a thought on one way to use therapy. So the father wanted to improve their relationship and to discuss some difficult issues. He felt like his anger was intimidating to his son and was sort of shutting him down. And it was real. it's really admirable because he was willing to be vulnerable and to come in and say, I do have a bit of a temper and I can tell that it really bothers my son and it's, it's interfering with our connection. And so I, you know, was impressed with the son's courage. I'm pretty sure he'd never done any therapy. And he was able to kind of admit that his father's anger bothered him. Mm. And anyway, so that was, we've only met a few times, but tonight that was neat because the human condition is just such a great way to think through. They're just discussing things like, how do we spend our time? You know, do you spend time with your friends? Do you spend time with your parents as you're growing up? How do you spend your money? How do you mm -hmm. prioritize who's more important to spend time with? Um, how do you budget your money? How do you make decisions? How do you communicate when you have different needs? Um, mm -hmm. How do you know what kinds of things people want to do to spend time with you? So they have just really been trying to practice communicating about these issues. And so that is one way to use therapy. Like they weren't right. in a crisis. Right. It was really to better their relationship. I think that you make a good point that therapy is not always about crisis. It's mm -hmm. about improvement. Sometimes to ward off a crisis, mm -hmm. if we know we have dysfunctional patterns that maybe aren't in a major crisis at that time, but we can shift 
um, the pattern before it becomes a crisis. Mm-hmm. I also think you make a good point about, um, or well, you talked about that the anger aspect mm-hmm. um, that everybody has emotions. Everybody has some level of dysfunction. And what I like to tell my clients is that dysfunction essentially is a behavior that's not functional anymore. So there's mm-hmm. probably a time where that dad's anger might've been functional in his life. Maybe it's functional at work with setting boundaries but it's not functional as a relationship with a son. Mm. So it's important to understand where- um, It serves a purpose exactly, that's healthy and exactly. beneficial. And we all have that, mm-hmm. every single one of us. So it's not, therapy isn't just for those people over there who mm-hmm. can't you know, manage their anger mm-hmm. or you know, their addiction issues. Yeah. You know, that brings up a question that I have gotten a lot and it may truly be the biggest question I've ever gotten about therapy from clients. And it is basically the question of, do I need therapy? Mm-hmm. Do you think I need to be here? And I like to just change the wording around and say, I think that you can benefit from therapy. Do you need it to survive? Do you need it to function? Can you function without it? Yes, you can function without it. I don't think you need it to survive. Or to to not have a collapse in most cases. But if it is going to prevent issues or prevent, you know, trauma from really um, becoming infected and toxic. And you could speak to that mm-hmm. as someone who's trained in EMDR, yeah. which um, do you typically call that eye movement desensitization response or reprocessing you, reprocessing? That's right. Mm-hmm. Um you can speak to that for sure, but that's a really big distinction. And who comes to therapy during a crisis and kind of puts the fire out and then they disappear. Right. And then other people who come for a certain goal or issue. And then when it kind of resolves or improves, they continue to come maybe more sporadically over time. Um, but any thoughts that you have on clients that come for a short time during a crisis versus those who continue to come long term? Yeah, I think that over the years of being a therapist and in private practice, working in IOP settings, um, working with groups that come from PHP or inpatient residential settings, I've gotten to see a wide variety of individuals and in different spaces in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, when folks usually come to me in private practice, most people, if they've never been to therapy before, are coming out of a crisis mm-hmm. from my experience, mm-hmm. especially over the last two years with the yeah. pandemic. Everybody's been in a crisis. Oh, yeah. The universal experience. <laughs> yeah. Universal leveling, mm-hmm. as I like to call it. So what I tell folks when they come to therapy, well, not just what I tell them, but what I'm looking for is, you know, I'm, I'm going through my treatment objectives. I'm trying to create stabilization as my first sort of um, stage of right therapy, right? Mm -hmm. Stage one. Yeah. Stabilization. Mm -hmm. Um, So if if, if they're in crisis and once we move through that, then a lot of folks find a lot of relief from that clearly. And then Mm -hmm. they will either stay or they will move on. Mm -hmm. I think this is where the therapeutic relationship can be, one of the most powerful interventions mm-hmm. and tools in the therapeutic process. I find that a lot of my clients will stay with me because after they've gone through that crisis, they start realizing that, hey, maybe there are other issues in my life that I would like to look at closer. Ooh, yeah. Because they start making some self-realizations of maybe on some level how the crisis came about in their life or they maybe had some choice or power in that process. Mm -hmm. Not to say everyone's crisis is their fault, but they start wanting to take a closer look at themselves. Mm. So a lot of my folks end up creating um, our therapy time as part of their wellness program. Mm -hmm. And it can really become a beautiful part of their life. Mm -hmm. Um, I really enjoy moving out of crisis mode with my clients and into self-exploration and self-actualization. It can just be a wonderful and kind of fun process. I mean, therapy doesn't have to always be doom and gloom. I prefer not to be doom and gloom. Well, and yeah, I mean, (laughs) mean, preferably that's true. If you really think about the whole ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Right. If we think about that medically, 
and compare it to counseling, if more people really looked at the prevention of nutrition and exercise and sure. stretching and drinking water and limiting toxic substances, there would be so fewer right. medical issues right. and medical problems. And, you know, um, what would you say more like intense medical interventions? Right. Mm -hmm. So I think the same way, you know, if people can be healthier in therapeutic senses and also just a lot of those holistic things I mentioned, right. in fact, I created a new acronym that I'm going to probably share in a podcast soon about just a checklist for thinking what are the healthy habits that you could be doing that could be preventing depression or anxiety or reducing depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, but your point there is great and leads me into one of the metaphors I shared with you earlier. I have a couple of word pictures or metaphors for understanding therapy that I love to share with clients. Okay. And so I'd like to share them here. So one of my two favorites is comparing it to a massage. Mm -hmm. And some people go to get a massage if they've injured themselves and they need that therapeutic like rehabilitation of working out, you know, a pull or a knot or um, or soreness. And some people get massages for relaxation and self-care. Some people get massages to prevent injury and to keep them in good shape so they can run marathons or, you know, um, so when you think about the many reasons that you can use a massage, do you just use it for relaxation? Do you just use it for like remediation of a problem or an injury? Or can you view massage as being helpful in a variety of situations for a variety of purposes? Right. Um, maybe okay. like for corrective or, you know, yes. you know, that maybe you went in because you had that injury, but I'm out of balance in my body and I need to keep going on a bit of a regular basis to recreate that balance in my body. Right. And, you know, when you really think about all the different types of actual massage from, you know, just even chopping to deep right. tissue to more relaxation you know i think therapy has different styles and yes interventions interventions and points of focus and depth mm -hmm. right. trauma work like right. emdr is yes exactly a type of trauma work and um, but you know then you might have self-esteem work or affirmations or things that help strengthen you and arm you right for the inevitable challenges and traumas and, and difficulties in life. Yeah, and what you're getting at is like the coping skills versus like the deep therapeutic or changing those negative cognitive beliefs that are driving subconsciously actions and thoughts and emotions. And that's yes. what EMDR does at the end of the day is we get to that negative belief and we basically do some like really cool cognitive um, rewiring, if you mm -hmm. will, on a, on a very deep nervous system level. Right. Um, that's right. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of these schools offer, um, I'm trying to remember what they call them. Sometimes schools offer in their health classes, just sort of like general assertiveness training or, right. You know, skills drug, training, skills training and drugs, a lot of psychoeducation. And, yes. All kinds of right. psychoeducation. So, you know, would you rather learn like assertiveness and all those tools for your toolbox preventatively or once you find out, oh, my marriage is on the rocks or I don't have any friends, mm -hmm. maybe I need to work on my self-esteem, you know, now that I realize there's a major problem versus Correct. preventatively. Right. Now you bring up a good point. Um, actually, I was thinking of this client as you were huh? talking earlier that I've been doing marital work with the couple, but I sometimes I'll split the couple up and work with them individually. Mm -hmm. And um, I think you make a good point about <clears throat> the levels of therapy and the you know skills training versus deeper work. I was working mm -hmm. with the, the husband and um, a businessman and um, very smart, very loving and caring. Mm -hmm. um, when the couple came to me, there was a lot of conflict as there usually is, which is usually what brings them into therapy. And so skills training, right? I did a lot of um, conflict resolution and communication work with them. Mm. But I was explaining to him that even if your everyday operations as a businessman is we've corrected the everyday operation issue mm -hmm. through our skills training, we still have a problem with the business plan. 
Mm. And that's where the deeper therapeutic work on the individual level came in for both of them of what are the wounds being activated between them? Mm. Because they were doing better overall. And he was like, well, why do we need to kind of keep going? I said, well, part of why we're having everyday operation issues is because your business plan ultimately isn't working. So breaking that down for them to understand that even though we're not in crisis anymore, we want to revamp that business plan and get into a different flow state for you all. So we're not continually running into the same everyday operation issues. So that's where I state. (laughs) There's my therapist boo boo for you like that. But that's what you're getting at with like a lot of folks come in for those skills and the how to's Mm -hmm. tell me how to do this because what I'm doing isn't working anymore. Mm -hmm. And often it can lead into that deeper question asking, um, which yeah. You know, that can be a really beautiful process. And I think that can intimidate people mm-hmm. a little bit going down this dark hole. What are we doing? But oh, yeah. I think if you feel like you have a good relationship with your therapist and you feel a level of safety and trust, I would encourage people to go to those dark, those deeper spaces and really do that yeah. deep soul work. Well, that was a really wonderful way to use a business paradigm to enter his world and explain to him on terms that he just is probably incredibly familiar with on a day-to-day basis. Right. This analogy to therapy is similar to the issues that you would deal with in your business world. So that's actually a really great little window into you trying to relate to clients on their level in ways that they can understand and explain the process of therapy in business terms. Which is why we're doing this, right? Because we were saying this is a constant conversation we feel like we run into with Mm -hmm. um, our clients or people that are not in therapy, but just don't maybe haven't been to therapy and don't understand what therapy is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some people I think are really on the brink of, Mm -hmm. I probably need therapy, but but what's it gonna be like? And you know, it really, one thing I would like to say to those of you who are considering this is, and actually it relates to that quote you just mentioned a few minutes ago, getting started is the hardest part. Mm. I mean, when you think about the right. unknowns, when you go to therapy for the first time, that's very course, vulnerable. It's very vulnerable. And then you don't know who is this person? What are they going to be like? Am I going to like their style? Am I going to feel comfortable? What are they going to ask? How does this work? I have a lot of clients ask me that the first session, mm-hmm. like how, what am I supposed to talk about? And, you know, and I often tell people, and again, every therapist could be different, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, you can either just tell me your story, give me a nutshell of your life, talk about your symptoms, talk about why you came in. And I often say to people, you can either give me just a nutshell or I can ask you questions. And I sort of give them those options. And I would say probably two thirds of the time they want to kind of give me a nutshell. And one third of the time they probably say, just ask me questions. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of our clients when they, when they come in, they've been dancing around the question of, should I go to therapy? Should I not? If they're not in crisis mode where they're mm -hmm. like waving the white flag, right? Please surrender, take me to therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, They're, often I find that they are so in their emotions when they come because it is, it can feel very exposing and vulnerable. And I think that one of the things to look for for on the consumer side, the client side is, do you feel safe with your therapist? Do you Mm -hmm. like your therapist? Those are Mm -hmm. really important, basic, instinctual questions you should ask yourself. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel that way, or you feel like your therapist feels like they have all the answers and they know everything that they yes. may not be a good fit. You know, it's okay to shop therapists. Right. Oh, for sure. I say, you know, if you go get a haircut once or twice and you don't like it, you probably aren't going to go right. back. Um, and not every therapist will do this, but I really don't mind talking to clients for five minutes on the phone mm-hmm. or 10 to answer questions, whether it's what's your theoretical orientation, right? Are you a really structured, you know, therapist? Are you kind of organic? Um, and, you know, just kind of open to whatever we want to talk about. And you can sort of get a feel in five, 10 minutes um, mm-hmm. and you can read their bio. I yeah. think it's funny. I've had people choose 
me based on my photo because it was kind of creative. Hmm. And um, I don't think I've seen your photo. Yeah, it's it's very haphazard. A lot of times <laughs> my photos are haphazard because it's like how many professional cameras have you know do <laughs> pictures do I have of myself? Here's um, one. Um, there was that. one at my 40th birthday party where I wasn't even looking at the camera, and a lot of people, a few people, just said I liked your photo. It was just a little bit more unpredictable, and I'm like, well, that's probably a good fit for me because I'm a little more like out of the box. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, if you read your therapist bio, that probably would help. And of course, sometimes it really does come down to, do they take my insurance? Right. Can I afford them? Are they taking new patients? Right. Um, I think you make a good point about, I mean, this sort of dovetails mm -hmm. into something. I don't know if we want to go here right now, yeah. but talking about, I, I get this a lot with clients. Um, of understanding the differences between different kinds of therapists mm -hmm. because the mental health world and the health and the healthcare system is very large and vast. Mm -hmm. So understanding the differences between psychiatrists, psychologists, mm -hmm. therapists, mm -hmm. counselors, and social workers. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot. So I understand why it's confusing. I mean, yes. I feel like I'm in the field and sometimes I'm like, wait, who does what? What? <laughs> I know it is. And there are so many interchangeable uh, you know, the word therapist could be yes. a psychologist. It could be a psychotherapist. Right. It could be a social worker. Correct. Um, so yeah, I tend to just kind of think of therapists and counselors and psychotherapists interchangeably. Right. But Same. since I'm a psychologist, I do probably get more calls from people that think I'm, I'm able to prescribe medication. And okay. that is a psychiatrist who, as you know, and just to tell the audience, a psychiatrist has been to medical school. Correct. And they have a medical degree. So they can prescribe medication just like a psychiatric nurse practitioner can and a physician's assistant. They are they have been to a medical program. Correct. Um, and so that is one important clarification. I do have a doctorate in counseling. It's a PhD, ironically, which is a side track is not whole other whole we're not other going into that <laughs> people go you have a doctorate in philosophy what of counseling psychology <laughs> but um but yeah the um that doctorate you cannot you know prescribe and there's no medical degree it's just a counseling degree so um, but yeah, I wish the terms didn't start with psych psychiatrist psychologist but psychologists yes typically just do counseling and then of course social workers right. and you have an LPC and an LMFP. Correct. Or, I'm yeah. a licensed marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor, which basically is what I tell people a fancy way of saying, first of all, I'm master's level, not doctoral level. Mm -hmm. <sighs> That's another story for another day. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> but sigh. yeah, I know. Close. I'm really close. That was a very big degree program. Oh, that wow. LMFT. Anyways, but, uh, Essentially, my degree program is where it's a fancy way of me saying that the state of Tennessee says I can see couples, families and individuals as an LMFT. And uh -huh. our approach is more systemic, meaning we focus on symptoms, family right? Family systems, couples and symptoms make sense is what I like to tell hmm. people. So we're a little more focused towards the functionality of system of symptoms and mm -hmm. how to help stems mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> get to a more functional place hmm. whereas i would correct me if i'm wrong say that not and we this is we'll dovetail into the mm -hmm. next part of this conversation however from my experience working with psychologists and psychiatrists mm -hmm. they tend to be a little more pathologically oriented mm -hmm. meaning studying sickness and pathology mm -hmm. um, and how that is manifested in individuals yeah However, we were discussing that this really, the breakdown here when it comes down to therapy has more to do with what happens after your grad work and your training and supervision. Yes. Do you want to add in? Because I don't want to speak for you yeah. saying that you're just. No. Because um, I think, it, I do think that's individual yeah. differences too in how you run your practice. No, definitely. I mean, there are obviously state regulations as sure. far as, you know, accredited training programs that need to be you know, I think respected and recognized as far as, you know, it did that, did that program you were in have all the, the required ethics classes and multicultural classes right. and statistics and things like that. Um, but 
as you and I were saying earlier, I truly think the best training is always in the trenches. Yes. Apprenticeships, supervision. I mean, so I definitely do not believe that psychologists are any more trained. I hate to say this, but you know, any more real qualified to be doing therapy. I mm. mean, a few extra classes, but again, to me, I just really think the truest learning is what you do on your own with reading and, and with supervision and working with clients. You know, yeah. if I could have done four years of internships under really great supervisors mm -hmm. and professionals, I think I would have been ahead of even the classes, you know. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that, not because I, I think like I, I find that when I work with other professionals, I really like to focus on how they work and who mm -hmm. they work with mm -hmm. and less on their credentials. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important for us to discuss this oh, with yeah. our consumers because there can be a lot of confusion for folks mm -hmm. who are not in our shoes who are in the trenches mm -hmm. and understand the nuances in the field. Mm -hmm. um, so I think you make a great point about mm -hmm. what is the training and where is their focus yeah. post-grad? Mm -hmm. Where have they been working? Are they an addiction specialist? Yeah. Are they a trauma specialist? Are they eating mm -hmm. disorder or what that is? Yeah, so. yeah. And, and that would be sort of similar to the mistake. This is kind of an interesting thing that popped in my head. One of the most amazing classes that I ever took was an undergraduate and huh. it was neuropsychology oh. and the teacher i think her name was leslie and i think it was leslie johnson but i'm not sure but she was amazing mm. i mean she was talking about brain science and i was like riveted <laughs> but it's it would, pretty interesting oh my goodness it's it really was, interesting i i couldn't believe that mm -hmm. that it was that fascinating and that i was that tuned in to someone talking about the science of the brain and it was her but it would sort of be like assuming that any class I had in my master's program or my doctoral program was superior and that I learned more to hmm. that undergraduate class in neuropsych. That class. That's a great point. Oh my goodness. I, I, you know, I probably have like five classes that just blew me away hmm. out of like a hundred. And that was one and it was undergrad. So you definitely can't make a blanket statement. You can't. And I think what the consumer needs to understand too, and, and we're kind of getting off, we're going on a rabbit trail, but we like to do those here. <laughs> yeah, we're good uh, at that. That's one are, of our superpowers. Yes. Is Give that, me that wine while we're at it. <laughs> right? You want some more? Maybe. Uh, but I think you make a great point about, you know, differentiating between what, is, what has more value because mm -hmm. I, I think what consumers maybe don't always understand and it's taken me even being in the field a while mm -hmm. to understand is just how like the healthcare system works in general. Mm -hmm. A lot of this different credentialing has more to do with that than it has to do with training and yeah. even um, efficacy of what some people are doing. Because right. I've Ooh, known people yeah. who are doing work and they are doctoral efficacy. level and yes. that's scary. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it comes down to, that's right. Right. And it comes down to like, do you feel comfortable with this person? Do you like this person? What does your gut instinct say? And then what is their training? Mm -hmm. um, and then where are you at? So it, it's multi-layered, which can feel confusing, yes. but I think it's good to let people know mm -hmm. the, a little bit of the ins and outs of this. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I like that tangent, but, um, Good. <laughs> so what other pressing points I do want to, yes. I, I do have one other analogy or metaphor with therapy that I want to share. And then I want to, Oh, I like this one. Yes. I think you're going to like, I, I mean, you said you do like this yeah, one. I, know I want to hear about is. equine therapy too. Okay. But, we'll get that to that. Yeah. <laughs> so another way of looking at therapy is like coming back from a trip with a, with your luggage, your baggage, filled with a suitcase, a suitcase filled with dirty clothes that are sandy, wet, musty. And you get back from vacation. Of course, you don't want to go and deal with all that, but you need to, because if you don't, it's going to fester, it's going to mildew, it's going to stink. So you get it all out, you air it all out, you wash it, you dry it, you fold it, you sort it. And you can put it right back in that same suitcase for your next trip or back in your drawers. But we're going to go back with the suitcase piece just to make the point. All the same stuff that came out of your suitcase that was festering and stinky and mildewy 
is aired out, clean. You view it differently. You've sorted it differently. It feels so much different because you dealt with it and you, you aired it out. Right. And I think that that is one of the greatest uses of therapy, along with what you said a few minutes ago about your relationship with a therapist mm -hmm. and how healing that can be to just actually let someone that feels safe hear everything that you've struggled with, everything that you don't like about yourself and just hearing your story mm -hmm. and then airing it out. And it feels so different. And it's all the same information you had before but you've resorted it, reorganized it, and it the power changes so much. Mm -hmm. The power it has over you and the feeling that you have about it and you can view it differently. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think I tell my clients that in relationship, they've been wounded and through relationship, they heal. Mm. And I think that's such a great analogy that you made because Amen. a lot of times we stuff and we hold all this stuff in and it's eating us from the rotting us from the inside out yeah, and finding someone who's trained because mm -hmm. it can be different than a friend responding to your yeah. moldy laundry <laughs> <laughs> is helpful because they can help you air that out. They can be that safe mm. space to help you air it out and clean it out and essentially move forward with your life yeah. instead of being consumed by that. Reframing it. Mm -hmm you know, yes. and sharing the burden, you yes. know, I often, and I wish that the audience could see me, but I think of uploading. I, I, I literally use my hand and, and kind of imagine lifting something out of your head and your mm. brain and then over and then down and downloading it somewhere else. I love that. And the therapist can be a container. Take a deep breath just hearing that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what do you need to upload and out of the archives of your brain? Yeah. Permission to like let it go, right? Yeah. And how, sometimes we need somebody else to help us facilitate with that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. That's the human dilemma. We yes. need other people. Yes. And things in your head not only have so much power and, and they're like wounds that fester, like we we're talking about mm -hmm. with the dirty laundry wounds i say don't make your body a storage unit for pain hmm. love that but they're on an endless loop a spiral in your brain yeah. and it, it feels like it's just never ending and infinite but when you write it on paper like a journal or you tell a therapist it has an end to it it's also yes. like a nightmare when you share your nightmare with someone, a lot of times it feels laughable when you try to explain it. <laughs> it's true. It's nowhere near it's as scary true. or as, right. as impactful. Right. Um, but yeah, so these are some of the ways you can use therapy. Well, um, on the neurological level to bring it back to your yes. neuro neuropsychology class. Yes. But when you write it down and you get it out, you are interrupting that neurofeedback loop or mm. that neuro loop, right? Mm. Again, that right? Yeah. Right. And so when you get it out and you talk about to your therapist, you're breaking down that neural pathway so you don't stay in that loop. So wow. really So there's a science behind why writing it down or sharing it interrupts a loop. Amazing. We use science. Can you explain that a little <laughs> bit more using your EMDR jargon uh, or yeah. how um, that looks? So especially with EMDR, I mean the whole concept, oh gosh, I could really go down a very long rabbit trail with this. Mm -hmm. But if we're going to take, let's take trauma, for instance, um, our brains don't store trauma the same way that our brains would store a normal non-traumatic memory. Mm -hmm. And so what EMDR does is it uses bilateral stimulation of the brain mm -hmm. to- Meaning both sides of your brain trying to connect, to stimulate both sides. Correct. Them. Correct. And, and we do that in different ways through eye movements, auditory- Help them communicate with each other across correct. the- or what yes, would you call it? The, Across the midbrain. Uh, the midbrain, yes, right. Yeah. So what we essentially do is we take that traumatic memory and we kind of break it down into different components of what the client can remember and what they report. We apply the bilateral stimulation around that. And the bilateral stimulation holds people, what we call your emotional window of tolerance, to start processing this data that's been fractured and stored in different mm. parts of the brain and the nervous system. And when that happens and we start breaking that process down, the brain can start to rewire and make connections and package that data up as mm -hmm. a non-traumatic memory and then get rid of anything that's not necessary for your everyday functioning. So those flashbacks and those intensive, intrusive 
images and experiences, your limbic system memories essentially will dissolve. Your body will release that. Mm. Then your brain packages up what's left of that data that is generally at that point, not intrusive, not disruptive to the client. It's not complicated. Exactly. Not dysregulating. Mm. And it stores it in the long-term memory and clients then exit what we call adaptive information processing where they can start thinking about this memory and it not be triggering to themselves. Mm. Once we take people through that process, then we can, this is the R part, the reprocessing. We can download, you're saying, Mm -hmm. get rid of the negative stuff. We can re-download positive belief about self, about that experience. So yes, I was in this car accident and I, my safety was deeply threatened, right? I almost died, near death Mm. experience, but I am resilient and I survived, I am strong. And they will come away from that memory, not only resolved and feel, and don't have PTSD symptoms anymore from that memory, they will have a strengthened sense of self, Mm. which is a really great process to watch as a therapist. (laughs) Right. Like I'm a survivor. I'm empowered. Yes. And I've seen so many, so many of my clients have had some um, really just amazing experiences, traumatic experiences that I've sat with them and just thought, how are you sitting here talking to me right now? And I have just, we've used EMDR and equine therapy. We'll get to that to move through the traumas and to reprocess them and their body and their brains go through a process and they're able to come out the other side of that um, reprocessing phase into a much more cohesive, calm, aware space Mm. and really report a lot of healing, um, not being triggered anymore, um, much more positive outlook and hope in life. So my goodness, it's really cool stuff. (laughs) These are not my words, but grief and trauma can be the metal of rebirth. Mm. Ooh. And wow. I'll tell you the full quote. That makes sense. Yeah. It, yeah. It's so cool. I, so you maybe don't know my dissertation was on grief hmm. and there is a quote that I used in there and I don't even remember, um, the author, but it says, and it so relates to what you just said. It says grief discriminates against no one. It kills, it maims and it cripples. It is the ashes from which the phoenix rises and the metal of rebirth. It mm. will make a whole new person out of you if it doesn't kill you in the making. Mm. Isn't mm. that cool though? The mm-hmm. idea of like, it will make a whole new person out of you like trauma and grief. You can become the strongest person and mm. the most empowered person ever mm. following trauma if if you can like survive it and grow and like that adaptive information processing, you can use that to become the strongest version of yourself. Mm-hmm. But, um, but then sometimes if you, you know, some people, you know, kind of crawl in a hole and they just, you know, are on the couch in a fetal position for years and it's really hard to overcome that, yeah. you know? And that might be just part of their process. There might be other factors that, hold them there and, and not able to move through that, that grief and that trauma, that complicated grief. Yeah. Right. So I think you make a great point though, that, and this is where, again, another reason why therapy can really be beneficial mm-hmm. is I find that so many people struggle to turn towards their trauma in their life. Mm-hmm. But once you start turning towards the trauma and facing it with someone who can help lead you down that path in a safe way, therapist, <laughs> right? And again, those terms are interchangeable. So psychologists, uh-huh. um, but if you can move through those, through those traumas and that mm-hmm. pain and start to process that in a supported way, you will come out in a such stronger place. No, yes. you won't be the same person. That's we, a beautiful way to put it. Turn towards the trauma and like, don't underestimate yourself. Mm-hmm. I love to say to people, grab the bull by the horns. I mean, if there's something that haunts you, that weighs on you, it's very understandable to want to avoid it. Of course, 
That's human nature. It is. Run. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and I can see that's a misconception about therapy or the process of therapy is why on earth would you want to revisit something right. so painful, whether right. it's the death of a loved one or a traumatic event or assault? Why on earth? And it's really because it's lurking inside eating at you mm-hmm. and stealing your energy. Um, it's it's very understandable to want to not do that. Some people think therapy is weak. Mm-hmm. I would argue that facing something uncomfortable that you're scared of is is the bravest thing you can do. And clapping. <laughs> that is agree. such a misconception in our culture. And that's the one that I want to shake people around when they're like, mm-hmm. oh, we don't have problems. Like, why are you going to therapy? You don't have any problems. I hear that a lot. Yeah. From, yeah. So, and, but. I can understand that. Yeah. Why would you want to dig it up? Like. Right. Let a sleeping dog lie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, and logically that sort of makes sense. But really when you think about it, it's like, because it's bothering you. It's right. there. It's not gone. Just because you're repressing it right. doesn't mean it's not bothering and you. It doesn't mean that you're always aware of it. I think a yeah. lot of people don't realize like, oh, this isn't bothering me. But really, if it's bothering everybody around you, yeah. like your spouse or your kids or yeah. like it is a problem yeah. and you may not be aware of it or why are you drinking so much? Like mm-hmm. to like you. <laughs> are you talking to me? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm actually talking to myself. <laughs> no, um, but like, yeah, you're drinking and there's there's reasons for our behavior and there's yes there are i can understand why folks don't understand um why certain experiences impact Mm -hmm. people more than others Mm -hmm. but that's not their job is not to compare suffering their job Mm. we we should not do that we should just help people heal Mm -hmm. so they can be better humans yes and we should encourage people to do that (laughs) self-improvement so that's, That's so another important. topic for another day about trauma and big T, little T trauma, which we could get into. <laughs> That's great advice, though. Don't compare suffering. Yes. Right. Because, yeah, we could all go down that and say, you know, in fact, my knee is really hurting me the last couple of days. And I could say, oh, my knee hurts. And they might say, well, at least you haven't had to get two limbs amputated. Of course, having a sore knee is nothing compared to that. But it is it's it's suffering, you know, right. and, and it's, it's your reality. Right. Right. It's it's making life harder and our lives are hard in different ways. And of course, some people's lives are harder than others, but life is just hard. Correct. And yeah, there's not a lot of value in comparing suffering. There really isn't. We should focus more on healing, whether it's the uh, war veteran Mm -hmm. or um, the kid that's being bullied at school, Mm -hmm. you know. That can easily right. throw a punch. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. But, <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Um, but <laughs> my point being is like we need to focus on strengthening people wherever mm-hmm. they're at. Yeah. And therapy can do that and meet people. Yes. Instead of saying, well, why do you need therapy? Or just not understanding the process. Right. Yeah. It's it, it's true. And so hopefully this conversation is, you know, educating people or maybe people who are on the fence about what is therapy and how can you use it and how do people view it. Um, you know, there's actually a book you've probably heard of called why therapy works. Mm. And, um, it's a really, really good book. It's pretty dense and it's a lot to sort through. Um, I do have one more quick story and then I would love for you to talk briefly about your equine therapy. Um, because Erin does therapy using horses in a therapeutic way. And I'd love for her to talk a little bit about that. Um, one really quick kind of interesting story. I worked with a woman. I started working with her uh, probably 16 years ago. And she had a very toxic childhood that she compared to an old novel called Flowers in the Attic. Oh. And a movie. Huh. It was very full of dysfunction secrets and just very a lot of mental illness and you know she came to therapy and I told her to read the book you can go home again by Monica McGoldrick which was one of my two favorite books in graduate school Hmm. and this book changed her life Hmm. and it was really it talks a lot about famous families and how they had their own family myths and their family secrets and their 
you know, dysfunction and the way they were taught to like deal with issues that sometimes wasn't the most healthy, like whether it's a, a lie that you're given like, oh, men don't cry or you should laugh when you're grieving and, and messages that you internalize from your family system. But this book changed her life and she came from also a blended family and she bought a copy of that book for all three of her siblings, like full half siblings. Um, and most of them never acknowledged it or said like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you trying to stir up the past? Of course. And we don't like change. We don't like change. <laughs> Let's like bury it. And, um, you know, I don't really know that many of them ever over the years, and I've still continued to work with her off and on for the last 15 years. Um, I think one of them kind of eventually came around, but they viewed her as kind of a pot stirrer. Like, why would you do mm -hmm. this? Mm -hmm. And in her mind, she said, this is the best gift I've ever given myself is to make right. peace and to try to, um, you know, I read this book and I'm making sense of what happened and I'm feeling healthier and more at peace. And I want you to experience the same closure and peace that I'm having. And they viewed her as like trying to stir up drama or cause problems. So it was very sad for her that they couldn't kind of get on the same page. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, one of the misconceptions of therapy is why would you do that? Right. Well, I, um, when you're saying that, I just think about how, how true that is. And that might scare people from going to therapy. Of Not everyone's going to like your change, especially mm -hmm. if your w way of relating the system is functional and it's dysfunction, if that makes yeah. sense. So that's a very true experience of a lot of our clients. They may want you to stay in that role of being an overly giving or overly functioning person. Right. And if you become assertive and start setting boundaries, right. that kind of rocks the boat because right. they, they want you to keep over functioning and so it works for them. Not, but yeah, it works for them. They it don't keeps have to this, own their shit. Yes. The <laughs> dysfunctional system is right. pretty chill and even killed. They don't want to rock the boat or maybe they, they get, they benefit more from you being in a sick space. I mean, yeah. I've seen that a lot with yes. working with addicts, family, like families with addiction issues, like often exactly somewhat, you know, the person, one of the people in the family system is, um, I don't want to say made to be sick, but their, their sickness benefits other people. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, getting well can secondary really, gain from exactly a role or an illness or absolutely. We see that all the time. Yeah. So, um, gosh, how do we encourage people <laughs> to make change from that? You know, there's a lot of people out there though that are forging a path. Yes. Even, and realizing that it's better to be um, healthy and have peace with yourself and freedom within yourself because the only relationship that really matters in this life is a relationship yeah. with yourself. That's the only relationship you know you're going to have for the rest of your life. Exactly. So getting well really does matter. Yes. Which can be hard if, um, you know, the people around you don't want you to get well. But yes. there are support groups and there are other people that are facing those challenges that you can get connected with. Oh, yeah. So, you know, and what I have found, too, is that often when... Um, the pot gets stirred. Other people uh -huh. do often start asking questions. Mm -hmm. It can be slow, but they generally do. And um, I, I can even speak to that in my own family that it, mm -hmm. I went to therapy for a long time before other people went. And now the people go to therapy and it's been a lot better mm -hmm. because we have a new language and we have a new awareness. So, yeah, you know, I think that change can happen, mm -hmm. um, but you have to believe in it for yourself first. Right. Yeah, you have to see it for yourself. Um, well, anything you want to say about yeah. equine therapy and how it relates to some of this conversation before we wrap up? Sure. Well, we talked a little bit about trauma, and um, so as you know, I'm a I've been a lifelong horsewoman and ride horses, train horses, compete. Um, so cool. It's it's I'm so blessed. I I love working with horses, and honestly, horses were my therapy, my whole life. They Aww. are the constant. They've taught me so much about myself. Um, I think I learned how to read energy because of horses, mm. how to sense energy, be intuitive um, with oh, people and animals. Right. Right. Um, so I, I started, um, 
doing equine therapy back in 2010. I mm -hmm. got certified in the gala model primarily, mm -hmm. though I'm exploring other models now and have utilized um, equine assisted psychotherapy mm -hmm. um, in my practice for the past 12 years, which is kind of crazy to say. Yeah. Um, so equine therapy, how it works essentially is I put people in interactions with horses on the ground. They're not riding the horses. Mm -hmm. It's not therapeutic horseback riding. Mm -hmm. This is not for folks that have physical um, issues and are learning to ride therapeutically. This is psychotherapy mm -hmm. utilizing horses. And when I put people in interactions with these horses, there's a bit of a neurofeedback effect that happens because horses being prey animals read energy and mm. actually can pick up on a person's heartbeat from four feet away. You're kidding. Mm -mm. That's how they read each other's energy in a herd. They read each other. They can pick up on each other's heartbeat and um, oh their goodness. energy and they co-regulate each other. Wow. That's mind blowing. Yes. There's a lot of emerging research around why horses are so healing for people. It's called the heart map research. It's very interesting. Wow. Um, and it is, um, anyways, utilizing horses, getting off on the research topic, but horses are reading people's energy and therefore responding to what people bring into session. Mm. So what I have found through my work with horses and people is that sometimes horses are the only way that someone can see what's really going on with themselves. Mm, the horses reflect it back to them. Correct. Correct. I've had some people who have just been, had maybe been in a lot of therapy over the years and just are burned out on therapy or maybe some very difficult cases where no one could get through mm. and the horses have gotten through to this person on some mm. level, or at least help them start becoming thinking about things differently and experiencing life a little bit differently because of how they respond to that person. Because you take the human element out of it. Um, yeah. And so many people are jaded towards humans and they have absolutely. so many trust issues, but animals are like their favorite. Right. Their right. safe place. Right. I can relate to that. Yeah. I've learned more about myself through horses than most people. And they'll have unconditional love. Right. Or at least unconditional consistent feedback. Mm. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's not unpredictable. Right. Right. Cause horses are not like dogs where dogs are pleasers and want to love you. Horses uh -huh. respond to people like other people, but they're huh. pretty consistent. They don't have that ego aspect. Ah. So they're not filtering. They're just instinctual. So huh. you get a really honest read on yourself. Wow. So they're very authentic. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. How interesting. Right. I know they're incredibly intelligent animals, but I don't incredibly know a lot about horses. And you can, you know, build a relationship with a horse. Um, so when you build that relationship and create that trust and connectivity, it's really quite magical what can happen. Um, hmm. So I've just really been fortunate over the years to utilize horses in my practice. And, um, I find that sometimes it's a wonderful additive to the process for clients mm. who maybe feel stuck or we've talked about an issue to death and we're just not getting any movement. Mm -hmm. So we'll go work with the issue with the horses. I can put the issue into a bit of a metaphor for mm -hmm. them. I take my addict client, for instance, I may have them build a road to recovery with different objects in the arena and then take the horse through that road <sighs> Um, and then symbolically, exactly. And it's through that process that they may make draw different conclusions and have different epiphanies about their process. Wow. And they have a positive association, probably seeing the Correct. horse do that course. And it's sort of creates a new connection with right positivity. Yeah. So a lot of times what I find that for my individuals or whoever I'm working with my client at the time, that when they work with the horses, they find their own solutions. Mm -hmm. So that it's a very empowering experience. And they mm. take that horse to that road. They see how the horse responds. They troubleshoot. They find, you know, the solution. So it, it, it builds their, um, their experience with themselves. And then mm. they feel like they can take that experience and generalize it to other aspects of their life. Oh, and just gives us a different way of approaching the problem or the issue. Mm -hmm. Um, some people 
find that they just get really honest and they can talk about what's really going on mm-hmm. out at the farm mm-hmm. and with the horses because the space. Yeah. Um, I find this a lot with families. Mm-hmm. There's maybe a lot of energy. Yes. <laughs> a lot of chaotic energy that working with the horses helps us start to talk about the relationships mm-hmm. externally. A lot of times the horses start to mirror family dynamics and mm. relationships. So we can start talking about what's happening relationally through the horses rather than in the individual, which can shut them down. That's so incredible. it's, it's really powerful experience. Wow. That is so cool. This is the most I've gotten to hear about the equine therapy and the specifics of it. That's mm-hmm. amazing. And we'll really, have to have you out. Yeah, no, I'd love to. <laughs> That's so cool. Well, hopefully this is answering some questions for people about how therapy can be used and how do you view it and you know, what are you looking for? And, um, I just hope this helps people figure out, you know, what the purpose of therapy is and, you know, what seasons in your life that it can be most useful. And it's a pretty versatile profession, I think. So I think so. Well, go get therapy. Do what? I said, go get therapy. Yeah. Go get point. it. Go get it. And there are other ways to help yourself, of course. But yeah, we're, we're big advocates of therapy. So thanks for listening. And thank you, Erin, for oh, being here. Thanks for having me as You're always. You're awesome. I love it. <laughs>